Welcome to Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today with the top news from this past week in Indiana and U.S. agriculture. Thanks for joining us on today's show. Now that harvest is wrapped up, Andy Eubank shares what you should be thinking about doing with that equipment. Sabrina Halverson has an update on how the war in the Middle East could impact fertilizer prices. And C.J. Miller reports on a new ag venture in southern Indiana that aims to make plastic out of watermelon waste. Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin has his chilly December Indiana farm forecast on the way, and we'll have grain market analysis coming up in just a few minutes. Let's begin today's show talking about agricultural trade. The Department of Agriculture recently released its quarterly outlook for U.S. ag trade. Dave Salmonson, Farm Bureau Senior Government Affairs Director, says the data projects a decrease in exports and an increase of ag imports in 2024. For this year, 2023, agricultural exports have come in at about $179 billion and imports at about $195 billion. So we're seeing an increase in imports, a bit of decrease in exports from a year ago when we were about $190 billion. And for next year, that will widen a little bit and we'll be down a little bit more on exports and a further increase in imports. Salmonson explains how the forecast impacts our major trade partners. 2023, our agricultural exports to our number one destination, which is China, were right about $34 billion, and their forecast for next year at $29.5 billion. Mexico and Canada will pretty much stay the same. Mexico at $28 billion, Canada $27 billion. A little bit of a decrease in Japan from $12 billion down to $11.5 billion. The European Union, roughly the same, right around the $12 billion mark and the same with South Korea. Farm Bureau and other agricultural organizations recently sent a letter to President Biden supporting measures that will improve ag trade. The administration needs to get back in the business of working on and executing comprehensive trade agreements. We must continue to enforce aggressively our existing trade agreements. We need to reform the World Trade Organization, especially the dispute settlement function. We need to continue to support and strengthen our agricultural supply chains. And Salmonson says in sustainability, they need the administration to continue to work and support voluntary incentive based efforts. A new farm bill in 2024, if we can get one, will impact more than just Indiana's farmers in the ag industry. It'll also have a huge impact on America's banking industry. C.J. Miller has the story. I guess the big things that have changed for us is how do we deal with this large ag transition that's going to happen in the next few years? And that's Ed Elfman with the American Bankers Association. He says the credit title of the farm bill is one of the top priorities for the banking industry as many farms over the next decade may be switching hands. We want to increase the FSA farm ownership and farm operating loan programs. They're currently a lot smaller than we'd like them to be. They're about $2 million. We want to increase them to 3.5 on ownership and $3 million on operating. Why? And it'll lead into the second thing we care about, ag costs more. It's harder to get operations up and running. Iowa and Missouri are having contests for who can spend the most on land right now. And we're trying to set up our credit to make sure that we can help those beginning farmers especially get into ag. And that's why Elfman says that some of the rules regarding beginning farm loans need to be restructured. We have a lot of issues and how they're set up. The farm was put in a trust 20 years ago. Now there's 20 people involved in the trust. You go and try to get a beginning farmer loan and you can't. 
because you have to lend against the trust, that's a barrier to entry. And we want to remove barriers to entry and make it easier for beginning farmers to get into ag, not harder. He adds that high interest rates for farm loans are another concern for the banking industry. From a legislative standpoint, we have a bill called the Acre Act, which is the Access to Credit for Our Rural Economy Act, in essence would lower interest rates by removing the taxation on farm real estate and rural housing. But with lower interest rates, we estimate up 50 to 150 basis points, which is the biggest thing our banks are talking about right now, where interest rates are, how they matter, how it's affecting their customers. Read more on the new Hoosier Ag Today mobile app. It's a free download for iPhone and Android. I'm C.J. Miller. All right, C.J., thanks. As the war continues in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas, it could impact the pricing and availability of fertilizer here at home. Sabrina Halverson reports. Retail fertilizer prices were a mixed bag again during the ending part of November, that according to sellers surveyed by DTN. Average prices for five of the eight major fertilizers were lower compared to last month, while prices for the remaining three fertilizers were slightly higher. The conflict in the Middle East has several energy markets on edge, including fertilizers. Andy Young, vice president of market and strategic analysis with Mosaic, is closely watching the situation between Israel and Hamas. Well, the worst case scenario is pretty easy to draw up, that if there was a widening of the conflict and Iran in particular were to get involved and you'd see a, a repeat of you know, mines being laid in the Straits of Hormuz and choking off not just the typical oil products and hydrocarbon products that we think of, but all of the fertilizer and fertilizer-related raw material products that come out of the Middle East now. Uh, it is the world's largest supplier of a number of those fertilizer commodities, and that would be very dire from a fertilizer supply standpoint and therefore a food production standpoint. If the region's fertilizer production is lost, it would create global shortfalls. Nearly half of the world's traded urea comes out of the Middle East. About 40% of uh, the sulfur uh, emanates from the Middle East and, as well as Egypt. For other commodities like phosphates, for potash, it's still a meaningful, you know, anywhere from 10% to 15 to 20%, depending on which product one looks at. So it's not easily replaced, or frankly, it cannot be replaced in the short term if it were to be choked off. Read more at HoosierAgToday.com. I'm Sabrina Halverson. And I'm Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today. Thanks for joining us on Hoosier Ag This Week. More farm news on the way. And the Indiana Farm Forecast with Ryan Martin is coming up in just a few minutes. Right now, grain market analysis. And for that, I welcome in Andy Eubank. Thank you, Eric. And it was on Friday, the USDA supply and demand update. As far as trade, it was a lower day. Corn, soybeans, and wheat will have those settlements coming up. But first, market analysis. At the end of trade, I checked in with Brian Basting at Advanced Trading. Brian, USDA supply and demand update and not a whole lot of market reaction other than about a 30-point turnaround in soy futures, higher to lower. And that may well be about uh, the Brazilian soybean production being cut by USDA. Not as much, though, as the average of trade guesses. So what else was in the numbers of interest to you? Yeah, it was a lot of the report. Andy was in line as such with expectations, um, but but you highlighted one that it wasn't, and I'd even dig a little deeper into that, Andy, and share with your listeners that not only did USDA adjust the current crop size, in this case smaller, as you said, two million tons, 
However, they increased last year's crop. That's the crop uh, 22-23. Crop was harvested back there in March, April, and May of this year. They increased that crop by 2 million tons. And so what USDA did was uh, they carried that 2 million ton increase in last year's crop over into the carry-in supply for this crop year. So basically it offset that smaller crop that the USDA has penciled in now for this year. I hope that makes sense to your listeners because basically it's kind of a wash there. And they actually increased then Brazilian uh, soybean exports for this crop year by that 2 million tons. And they took the carryout for this year down. Bottom line, uh, that surprised the trade a little bit there. Uh, now, the 161 estimate for this year is not carved in stone. I remind your listeners that we are in the midst of the next 45 days of making a Brazilian bean crop. But it was just enough to maybe shake the markets uh, up a little bit here. And, and a little seal of profit taking on Friday. Uh, for corn, Andy, not a lot of change there. They did increase the corn exports from the U.S., 25 million bushels. We have seen an uptick in users overseas, particularly Mexico, but others now have come in with these lower corn prices. Economist Brian Basting with Advanced Trading, and his number is 309 664 2314. Here's how the markets settled on the last day of the week March corn losing two and a half cents, 485 and a half, and May finishes the week at 497 and a half a two cent drop friday january beans seven and three quarters lower going to 1304 march 1323 down seven and a quarter and march wheat leads lower down a dime and a half at 631 and three quarters the meats did go higher february live cattle up three dollars and 20 cents 165.72 and february lean hogs up one dollar and 20 cents 68.97 that's a check on the markets. Much more still to come on the weekend show. I'm Andy Eubank. This is Who's Your Ag This Week. From seed, grain, and feed companies to crop protection, farm implements, and technology, agribusiness is all around us here in Indiana. I'm Bruce Kettler, President and CEO of the Agribusiness Council of Indiana. At ACI, our sole focus is on the needs of our members. We advocate, educate, inform, and we invite you to join us in our mission. Visit our website, inagribiz.org, to become a member. That's inagribiz.org. The Agribusiness Council of Indiana, strengthening and connecting Indiana agribusiness. A damp start to the weekend, but overall, the main story is cold air. I'm Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin with Hoosier Ag Today's Weekend Weather Outlook, and it's fairly typical. Look, it's December. We expect it to be chilly. What we don't expect is what we had the last couple of days. Highs in the 40s, 50s, flirting with 60, depending on where you're at. That's not typical for December. I like it, but it's not typical. So you have to argue that this weekend is us trying to get a little more typical here. We've got an area of low pressure that started yesterday morning down in northeastern Oklahoma. And here this morning, it's sitting right smack dab in the middle of Lake Michigan. So the track of that low is just a little bit farther west and north than we would need to get good moisture in here. So hit and miss scattered activity through the day today. I think your Saturday, you need to have the umbrella, but we can be looking for anywhere from 
from a tenth on the low end to maybe half to three quarters of an inch on the upper end. I think the biggest chance for the upper end of any rain range for today into tomorrow is going to be in central and southern Indiana. Northern tier counties, there's moisture around, but it doesn't look overly wet. And this is important because, you know what, go back about two to three days as we were seeing this system emerge and the track that it wanted to take out of Texas. Uh, the heavy rain threat was right over the top of us. There was some concern earlier this week that we could see two, two and a half, even three inches of rain, and that's dissipated now. First of all, of this initial wave is farther west, and then the track of the second wave for overnight tonight through tomorrow is farther south and east. Ohio in line to pick up an inch or more of precipitation, I think, but not necessarily us back here. So that means for your Sunday, I think we escape with not a lot of moisture. I think we are still dealing with lingering cloud cover, and it's definitely colder. Don't get me wrong. Cold air is on the way, so we're colder for Sunday, but I don't think we're looking at a lot of precipitation. Start of the work week, we may deal with a little bit of lake-enhanced cloud cover early Monday morning, but even lake effect is not as big of a story now. The winds out of the north and northwest are not quite as strong, so I'm looking for a mix of clouds and sun on Monday. Full sunshine Tuesday, Wednesday as Canadian high pressure comes down and takes full control of the region. Once we get on the backside of that high, the second part of the week, Thursday, Friday, I think temperatures moderate slightly. Now, we're not looking at nearly as warm of a surge as what we saw the second half of this past week, but we're getting back to mild-ish kind of temperature ranges. And then over the weekend, Saturday the 16th, Sunday the 17th, just a little bit of instability. We're not talking about a well-organized front, but I think we have to keep an eye out for some hit and miss of rain showers, maybe a few wet snowflakes with anything that tries to pop up overnight. It really looks like the moisture is focused more on southern Indiana than the north at this point. I'm Ryan Martin. Staying informed on the markets, the weather, and world events has always been important to those of us in agriculture. Today, staying informed is critical, but now it's easier than ever. The Hoosier Ag Today mobile app puts up-to-the-minute information in the palm of your hand 24 hours a day. Download the free Hoosier Ag Today app for your mobile device at the Apple Store, Google Play, or at HoosierAgToday.com. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us on Hoosier Ag This Week. We're running down the top news in Indiana and U.S. agriculture. I'm Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today. The Department of Agriculture has announced a new online application for direct loan customers. USDA Deputy Secretary Sochil Torres-Small says the agency is trying to make things more convenient for U.S. producers. America's farmers are working incredibly hard to make sure that we have the food and the fiber and the fuel all across the country. As you may know, about 26,000 producers every year submit direct loan applications to USDA, but often farmers end up leaving incomplete applications on the table or withdraw their direct loan applications. And so we've been digging into how to make those loans more accessible to hardworking farmers. She says it's a great option for farmers who might not have the time to stop into their local FSA office. Farmers can still go into an FSA office, talk with their loan officer, and get the assistance they need there. But if they have trouble finding time to do it during business hours or want to have more time to do research on their own, now they have a way to apply for a loan online or through their cell phone even. So this is a tool that allows farmers to go to farmers.gov slash loan assistance tool to apply online. It also allows farmers to then track the progress of their loan to see whether and how 
quickly it'll be approved. USDA is rolling out the new application site in stages. For individual farmers, it is being launched today. Now, it'll take a little bit of time as FSA works to build out the same opportunity for legal entities or for married couples applying jointly. But as of today, as individual farmers will be able to apply. For more information, visit farmers.gov slash loan assistance tool. You can get that link also at HoosierAgToday.com. Now that harvest is wrapped up, what's next for all that heavy equipment? And Eubank reports. The end of harvest doesn't mean putting the equipment in the shed and leaving it there until next harvest. It's important for next year's harvest startup to do your equipment inspections as you come out of the field. Daniel Stansberry is General Service Manager at Ag Revolution. Note the repairs that need to be made and go on and be proactive on getting those repairs made so that the time just doesn't slip away as it seems to and you get down the road toward next harvest and the next thing you know you're two to three four weeks out from harvest and your machine has not been looked at or inspected and now you're in a panic you're in a rush to try to get the work done stansbury says there are real advantages to beginning the inspection before your machines are pressure washed he says blow off all the surface dirt but don't do the high pressure cleaning until later we love for the machines to actually be dirty still we're looking for evidence of, you know, leaks and seeps that could be washed away by a pressure washer. We're looking for things as belt wear and, 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 and your normal issues, belt wear, bearings uh, that have failed, all your wear parts, of course, um, rasp bars, chopper knives, you know. All of your chains, we inspect them thoroughly. He adds a deeper inspection will include running the machine for 15 to 20 minutes to get the bearings hot, inspect them, and then determine if they are beginning to fail. Ag Revolution will also run a diagnostic report. We'll hook up the laptop and look for any trouble codes. We will look for any pattern in logged fault codes that may or may not be active, but we'll spend a little time looking at at the histogram of when faults occurred and try to proactively fix those issues um, even if they're not currently present or active. Stansberry's inspection details are part of their Agco PM360 detailed plan which provides the customer with the notes the service technicians create during the process. Hear more in the full interview with Daniel Stansberry at our website whosyouragtoday.com and the new free mobile app I'm Andy Eubank. All right, Andy, thanks. Tar spot continues to be a growing concern for corn producers across the Midwest. C.J. Miller reports now on why seed selection is important in tackling tar spot for next year's growing season. Researchers found that tar spot can overwinter on infested corn residue, increasing crop infection risks, and leading to questions on managing the newer corn disease. A timely fungicide application will help, but... Fungicide won't save a susceptible hybrid from tar spot. You can't fungicide your way out of tar spot. Pioneer field agronomist Matthew Vandahar says that hybrid selection is critical and now's the time to be having conversations and gathering data from your seed salesman. Asking your seed salesman to give you their tar spot score and if they don't have anything published what are they verbalizing and 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 do they have examples of that hybrid and how it did in a high tar spot pressure area within the last two years or somewhere locally. Um, because certainly 
Uh, we can rate for tar spot all we want, but if you don't have that disease show up, you may not get that score on a certain hybrid, especially a new hybrid. On the fungicide front, many farmers used to wait and make an in-season decision on whether to apply fungicide. But Ron Geis, market development specialist for Corteva, says that's largely shifted as growers have found that fungicide applications are more than paying for themselves. Tar spot's just another reason to use foliar fungicides. But the foliar fungicides, you know, that, that provide plant health benefits like the Approach Prima, it, it does give you a healthier plant that stands better at harvest. And it also controls problematic diseases. When we have moisture, you know, that's when we have our really good yields. And that's when we have our diseases. So that's when we can justify the use of a fungicide even better. You can start tackling tar spot next season now with your local Pioneer representative by visiting pioneer.com slash Find my rep. Fertilizer prices have been on a roller coaster ride over the past several years. Craig Rule, vice president of crop nutrients for Growmark, says it's an historically unique situation for farmers. If you go back and look at 2019 compared to now, that was kind of coming out of a, a period of kind of oversupply. So those were probably historically low prices. And then when you introduce all the unrest that we've seen in, in Europe and the energy complex over there, that drove a period of historically high prices. So we're kind of comparing the the worst to the best in kind of recent past, which is which is unique. Rule says nitrogen demand stayed steady throughout that roller coaster ride because that's just not something you can easily skip on. But phosphates and potash took a big volume hit during that time because farmers can mine the soil for those for a couple years. Farmers that had been mining the soil for the last couple years are have taken off two big crops. They're looking at potentially a third one. So they're having to evaluate it from a business perspective of it's time to reinvest in the soil and make sure that uh, they don't start compromising their own yield outputs. Uh, trying to save a dollar or two. Rule says decisions the past couple of years have been driven by scarcity and fear of supply shortages. He thinks we've turned the corner on that front. So how can Growmark help you prepare for what's ahead? Growmark, we've got over 600 crop specialists in the countryside uh, working face-to-face -face with farmers at the farm gate every day. That's our key resource uh, to helping people make good decisions. Uh, every single local geography has a different supply and demand balance, has a different product preference, has different agronomic practices. Uh, so working with those local experts is really the way we can help the best. To learn more about Growmark's fertilizer offerings, visit growmark.com. I'm Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today. Stick around, more Hoosier Ag this week on the way. Every farm needs a good set of hand tools. Well, here's one that's free, and one you'll find yourself reaching for several times a day. The new Hoosier Ag Today mobile app. With markets, weather, and breaking farm news, along with the daily Hoosier Ag Today podcast on your mobile device 24-7. Download the Hoosier Ag Today mobile app from the Apple Store or Google Play. The Hoosier Ag Today mobile app. Add it to your toolbox today. Thank you again for joining us this weekend here on Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm C.J. Miller with Who's Your Ag Today, and did you know that you can take the leftover waste from watermelons and convert it into plastics? That's what a newly formed company in southwestern Indiana is looking at doing. Joining us today is Brian Southern. Both he and his wife Katie are the co-founders of Agro Renew, which plans to build a brand new facility just south of Vincennes in Knox County. First of all, Brian, tell me about Agro Renew and what will make your new company and its product unique. So we're taking watermelon waste and reducing it down into a micron dust and blending it with some other biosources to form a resin polymer that can then be used to make various types of plastics. 
the uniqueness about this is that this plastic is 100% biodegradable. Everything gets decomposed and goes back into the soil, including replacing nutrients in the soil. So very unique from that perspective. Uh, Brian, I'm kind of curious how this whole idea of taking watermelon waste and converting it into bioplastics, how this whole idea came to fruition. Yeah, AgroRenew is a result of what happens when innovation and ideation occurs when you bring people together that are looking at challenges or problems they're having in their industry and you have conversations about what's possible. And so we were talking with various farmers in the Knox County community who is the number one producer of watermelons in the state of Indiana. And we're talking to them about the amount of food waste they have every year and the crops that they don't sell or they don't pass their quality, the amount of watermelons uh, that are left in the field. And the number is just staggering. It's approximately 100 million pounds a year. And we're like, there's got to be something better we can do with that. And so we started to research. uh, My wife, Katie, who's a food scientist, and myself, who is a processing engineer, you know, looking at what are some other ways that we could utilize this biosource. And then we started to look at some of our experience in the plastics industry and that emerging market of new bioplastics um, as uh, an alternate source from petroleum-based plastics. So we kind of started to experiment and was able to determine that, yes, we could use portions of the chemical properties of a watermelon to create a resin polymer that is 100% biodegradable. And Brian, you mentioned that using watermelon waste, no better place to set up shop than Knox County, the top producer of watermelons, not just in Indiana, but across the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely per acre, they're producing the largest amount of watermelons in the U.S. And Forming that relationship with the farmers and the community has been key to deciding that this is the best place for us to build this new plant. My guest is Brian Southern. He and his wife, Katie, are co-founders of Agro Renew LLC, which is setting shop just south of Vincennes in Knox County. And, and tell me about the plans to build this brand new facility when we can possibly expect a groundbreaking ceremony to take place for the new facility. We're working on that now. So, you know, we're finishing the engineering work to design the full production facility. We have our architect and engineer working on the building design and the layout. We should have most of that completed by the end of this year so that we'll be able to roll out uh, in early next year with a target of sometime in March breaking ground. Um, And then they're estimating about a 10-month build-out for the plant. And the plant will be, you know, the first phase, approximately 106,000 square feet. And uh, with the second phase of adding on to the building based on the demand that we're already seeing for our product, of adding another 92,000 square feet of this production facility. So the growth is going to be rapid and um, we'll try to make sure we control that so we maintain control of quality and, and have uh, you know the product that our consumers and our, our business customers need. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of quick growth, so a lot of new job opportunities uh, for the Knox County community. Yeah, Brian, I was going to ask you about that because once AgroRenew opens the new facility, the company looks to provide a pretty significant boost to the ag economy there in Vincennes in Knox County. As we roll up and um, you know ramp up our production, we're going to hire 74 people just 
sometime next year, and that's going to ramp up to about 250 uh, team members that'll be working in that facility by the time we're up to full production. So a lot of new job opportunities, and we like to consider them career opportunities because we're doing a lot to um, provide training and education and professional development and give everybody the best opportunity to enjoy a, a fruitful career. Once again, Brian Southern, the co-founder of Agro Renew in Vincennes. You can read more about his new company at HoosierAgToday.com. And Brian, best of luck to you and your wife in getting the new company up and running. Yeah, thank you for having us, and we look forward to the plant opening, and we'll absolutely keep you uh, posted on what's coming up. Absolutely. Well, that does it for this week's edition of Hoosier Ag This Week. Check out the podcast version of the show at HoosierAgToday.com. Also download the new Hoosier Ag Today mobile app. It's a free download for iPhone and Android. For Andy Eubank, Eric Pfeiffer, Sabrina Halverson, and our chief meteorologist, Ryan Martin, I'm C.J. Miller, Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's Farm Radio Network.